This podcast has been made possible by Planful and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Steve Cakebread, CFO at Yext, and you're listening to the CFO Podcast. This is episode 503. Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we speak to Ryan Emel, CFO of Playa Resorts and Hotels. Turn back the clock, and during the early days of Ryan's career, he made an impression on a certain CEO who he would one day partner with as CFO. That's only one chapter of Ryan Hemmel's career journey at Playa. Playa, a leading owner and operator and developer of all-inclusive resorts. They've got 21 different resorts today in the uh, portfolio. Hey, I have to believe one of the perks of working for Playa is that ever so often you, you take a nice vacation and test the customer experience of your own company. Unfortunately, I didn't ask Ryan that question, but I did ask quite a few more, and I know you'll enjoy listening to his story. We begin after these words from our sponsor. In an ever-changing world, it can be tough to keep up with the latest FP&A trends and innovations that keep you ahead of the game. Luckily, there's a podcast for that. Tune in to Being Planful, the podcast for finance leaders and planning experts, and stay in the know about what's happening in planning and forecasting. Guests like influencer Chris Ortega, Boston Red Sox CFO Tim Zhu, and Brian Lapidus of AFP will keep you up to speed on how you can put finance in the driver's seat this year. Find the full episodes at beingplanful.com or wherever you get your podcasts. P.S. Think you might make a great guest on the show? Shoot host Rowan Tonkin an email at beingplanful at planful.com. experiences that they feel prepared them for a finance leadership role. 
and we'll begin there. What what comes to mind for you? Yeah, I think for, for me there was a couple kind of key milestones in, in my career that kind of prepared me for the role I'm in today. Um, when I think about it, the, the first one was when I first moved into kind of financial planning and analysis and corporate finance. Um, I've worked in the lodging and hospitality industry my entire career, dating back to um, you know my days as an intern. Um, I've worked actually worked for our CEO since 2002 at, at various uh, companies of his and been at Playa since its inception back in 2006. But I started um, in kind of feasibility and development, which is a fascinating part of the business and really exciting. You're working on, you know, external acquisitions, management contracts, growth, um, and it's very, very fascinating to me. Um, I actually had to move into FP&A and corporate finance for a couple of reasons, but the main reason was that, you know, Playa deals primarily in Mexico, Latin America, and, and the Caribbean, and um, the, the primary language spoken there is Spanish. And while I have a rudimentary understanding of Spanish and can get by conversationally, there's no way I'd be able to excel and thrive um, in, that, in that world. Um, speaking with stakeholders and potential acquisition targets and partners in, in the native language. And so um, I was fortunate enough, though, to move into FP&A and was tasked with um, oversight and working on corporate finance, treasury, cash planning, and began learning um, and maintaining our corporate forecast model. And, and why that's so important to me is, is the first milestone was that it allowed me to become, for the first time, more well-rounded and began to learn and understand how the decision-making and capital allocation process worked and how somebody at one side of the house internally could make a decision and how it affected the others. Um, and it just allowed me to become more well-rounded. And you'll see as I talk about these other milestones, um, it's, it was so important to me to, to learn how those different worlds bridge each other internally, because I think that's something um, in this day and age people forget to do. And even in a large organization, it's hard to sometimes talk to one another. And so it was my first experience um, bridging that gap, if you will. And so my second um, kind of important milestone was in 2013, Playa underwent a pretty large recapitalization. We did six or seven transactions that all um, consummated on the same day in August of 2013. And one of those was um, not super important, but it, we refinanced a bunch of our Spanish syndicated debt. And it was our first time entering the U.S. leverage loan market. And we raised a term loan and senior unsecured notes. Um, and that was my first exposure from an outward facing position, and I, it was my first exposure to kind of investor relations. Um, you know, I spent a lot of time on the road with bondholders and debt holders and began to understand um, not only how the decisions we make internally affect the company internally, but now how it affects for the first time external constituents and stakeholders. Um, you know, debt holders obviously are very focused on how you're protecting their ability to clip coupons and earn interest um, off of the debt they own of ours, and so they're they're very focused. So, um, you know, it's kind of the second step for me. You know, the first one was understanding how things affect the company internally and now how the decisions we make affect the company and its external shareholders. And then thirdly and lastly, um, just import, as importantly, in early 2017, Playa uh, was able to get public, and that was my first um, uh, exposure to U.S. public equity holders. Um, and I don't have to remind you or our listeners, they have a very different outlook than, than debt holders. They're not only focused on how you allocate capital on a risk-adjusted basis, but how you're going to grow their investment. And so I was able to kind of build off the first and second milestones and kind of bridge the gap to now public equity you know, facing shareholders. So those three today, um, you know, are milestones for me in the sense that they help me better understand how the various components work together and help drive change internally and externally. Okay. Well, one of the things you mentioned up front, I I wanted to ask you about, um, and you did mention your CEO perhaps uh, j jumped, j jumped to a, a new company himself, and. Uh, 
uh, and and along you followed uh, afterwards. I mean, is that is that a, as simple as that? So he this is his third uh, public company. Um, he's worked on various spins and and sales, um, but it was not a jump. This Playa was created out of it's a longer story, but it, Playa was just created um, out of it, one of his existing U.S. businesses, and he was trying to replicate. And it kind of goes into kind of the greater overall resort all inclusive market. Um, but he had raised money from institutional investors in the past and, and invested in assets in the U.S. But he looked at the all inclusive resort market and said, "Wow, this is a fascinating business with incredibly high margins." Um, that's dominated by you know second and third generation family companies that are great great operators, but they're not as focused on being as acquisitory and, and looking at acquisitions and, and roll up strategies. And so um, he was able to raise money from just uh, you know privately with a rolodex of investors who had made money with him in the past. Um, and I was here from the beginning. I still have the original pitch book. We called it Project Playa, um, you know, because we thought we'd come up with a better name, but then realized Playa is, is perfect. And so the, the name never left. But um, so I've just followed him. I've interned at his various companies. But it's not that he ever jumped. It's just that he spun and created. Um, he's one of the most entrepreneurial people I've ever met, and I've really enjoyed working with him over the years. Now, was he at your earlier company? And again, forgive me, I'm looking at LinkedIn, um, Ryan, just to clarify how, how I'm, I'm – because yeah. I think your, your career uh, is as close to a straight line as I've come by uh, for a CFO, meaning that you made quite an investment uh, within two companies, uh, no small investment. The first company was eight years and – Four months there where you climbed the ranks, really, in finance to a director of finance and development, and that's when you jump. Um, so I uh, just want to mention, was he CEO of the other company? Yes. So really, what Playa spun out uh, when we created Playa in 2006, all of us still were working for Barcelona Crestline. We, it was basically a fund, and we just paid because we already had the team here. We had people to look at acquisitions. We had an accounting team. And so the Playa, the fund itself, just paid us essentially an asset management or fund management fee to find the acquisitions, execute on them, and do the accounting. Um, but at some point, you reach a critical mass where you kind of have to split the cord and say, okay, those of you are working on Playa, and those of you are working on Barcelona Crestline. So you know, I, I, I focus on that word jump a lot because I didn't jump. I literally moved down the hall is really all I did, all still under the Bruce Wardinsky, our CEO's um, umbrella. And so um, that's really it. So I, he, it's a funny story. I met him in 2000 before I went away to, to undergraduate, and I happened to coach his kid. I volunteered to coach his kid in T-ball, and that's how I met him. And we both went to the same undergraduate institution, and we started talking, and he was really big on hiring interns. And so I interned um, in 2002 and 2003 and, and started work full-time in 2004. So I've just never really left his umbrella, despite the fact that it says I've worked for different companies. It's really just up and down the hall. But you're right. It's essentially just in, within the same group. Now, there were a number of financings as well that you mentioned uh, as you shared your, your milestones, which really happened at Playa. Um, yep. And, and uh, one was, of course, the IPO, and, and then there was another refinancing that you mentioned. Um, and you had a deal – you underscored the fact that you had a deal with the investor community uh, for the first time, uh, I think is how you characterized it. Can, can you reflect a little more on that and how you were able to uh, develop those skills? Uh, because it, clearly you mentioned it for a reason. It was, it was new to you. Yeah. So um, it, what, we're, what I was referring to specifically was the first time that we had outside debt holders that worked for firms like Fidelity and BlackRock and stuff like that. Previously, we had, we had you know, CMBS debt and other loans and stuff like that that were backed by our assets, obviously. But it was our first time entering a leveraged loan market. One of the things we wanted to um, 
have as a as a, a competitive edge of ours when looking at acquisitions is not have to find individual asset back financing in these local jurisdictions. It's harder to come by. Um, you know, there's all sorts of rules and cash sweeps and stuff like that to just make it more difficult and not as cost effective. But if you can put on corporate debt, if we can be an institutional quality corporate debt company, it allows us to be more flexible and nimble when, when looking at, at deals and transactions. So it was the first time I had to attend conferences and, and present, you know, with my boss who was the CFO at the time and answer questions about the business and our strategy and what we're doing to manage risk and what we're doing to grow. Um, and so that was so the first time we had to do it. I had learned how to answer some of those questions because we've always had people on our board. We've been private equity backed since our inception. And so I had quarterly and monthly and weekly calls with our internal stakeholders who were investors in the company and asked, you know, answer their questions on the model and forecast and budgeting. But it was the first time I had done it, um, you know, again, with the, the help of my boss at the time, but on a more public stage, even though we weren't public, the debt was 144A debt. So it's, it's as close to being public debt as it can be. And you have to act and, and smell that way. So for me, it was an important step to be able to start talking with external stakeholders with real stakes, um, no pun intended, um, at, at, um, at the forefront. So you, as I, I think I characterized it, it as close to straight line, uh, ever upward, uh, more experience, and finally you arrive in the, in the CFO uh, office roughly around 2017. Um, and want to, uh, not roughly, you did in 2017, forgive me. Um, but what I want to uh, ask you is when you arrive there, here's your opportunity uh, to modify that function in some way or improve it or uh, enhance it. What's on your mind uh, in terms of when you're there as the leader? What is it that you uh, want to do? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So kind of continuing along with that theme of trying to understand and bridge the gap between various you know, constituents and parts of the organization, I wanted the finance and accounting function to be a support, play a support role to the entire organization. Um, I think so many people assume that the job of finance accounting is to produce financial statements. That's, um, you know, sure, that's part of our job. We have Qs and Ks and things we have to adhere to as a public company or even as a private company. But, um, you know, I, I wanted to build on the prior success of the existing leadership, our existing CEO, and my predecessor, who had recently retired, and continue to foster an atmosphere where the finance accounting groups act as a sort of bridge or a conduit between the various departments, whether it be operations, sales and marketing, development, and support them, and provide them, most importantly, with analytics and data to, and measurement and tools to allow them to make the decisions that they need to make on a daily basis in real time and as quickly and efficiently as possible. Um, having learned all I did and spent all of this time at this company and, and in various various groups and departments, I, I, I thought, you know, why not, you know, take what I've learned and, and continue to apply it and allow us to be a support function for the rest of the organization. So uh, it wasn't so much that I needed to change. There are some key things that we did um, to reorganize a, a slightly, but it was more to just foster this atmosphere that, hey, we're here to help everyone and support them in the best way we can to make this company as successful as possible. If I uh, want to understand your vision for your FP&A folks, what are they mm -hmm. – uh, and, and I always I refer to it as a cadence. How often are they meeting with the business partners? How, you know, if they're embedded, how, how would you characterize that relationship? And, um, again, do you have a vision for that, whether it's uh, more frequent meetings, whether it's sharing data more freely, whatever it might be? 
Yeah, that's one of the things we spent a lot of time on, given that that's my background, um, is making sure that we're providing customized tools, reports, asking and spending. So we have you know, uh, monthly meetings where we go through the results with, um, with the operating teams, um, both at the regional and local, uh, in, in local jurisdictions, with the sales and marketing team, with the accounting team. Um, to help share information, you know, understand how best can we present this to you? How can we slice and dice the data to help you do your jobs more easily? Um, you don't need to spend time, you know, pouring through information. Let us do that for you and help you make, and give you what you need to be successful. And so um, that's something that we do regularly and we put out and we're constantly changing and evolving, you know, because there are new things as we enter new markets or new businesses, you know, there are tools that, and, and, and data that they want to see. And like, okay, we can produce something like that for you. And so the FP&A plays a very, very big role because they're, they're kind of the, um, the keeper of a lot of uh, information and, uh, and assumptions. I tell anybody that we hire an FP&A, it's one, in my opinion, I know I'm jaded because I came from that department, um, you know, it's one of the more fascinating parts of the business because you touch so many different things, whether it's strategy, accounting, you know, development operations, you get to see and smell and, and, and feel exactly how all this decision-making affects the overall organization and how it all rolls in, in the overall kind of corporate model and, and forecasting. So to me, it's always been fascinating, and they have to be on, on – uh, on the front lines of, of the decision-making so that they can provide the support needed um, for those um, across the organization to do their jobs. I'm wondering if you can give us an example. You mentioned that, that your team is constantly looking to enhance the tools and make you know, perhaps certain data more visible uh, to better uh, you know, the decisions being made out there. Now, is there an example that you can share with us of a tool that was enhanced and maybe it's a tool might not be the right word. Maybe it's just a particular data stream that needed to be uh, have greater attention paid to it. What would you share with us? Yeah, so there's a couple things we did. Um, you touched on a little bit earlier. Did we, you know, reorganize or anything like that? We um, first and foremost, so not so much a tool, so much as um, we promoted and added key personnel that weren't currently being utilized to, to the, the best extent. My, my background is not in accounting, so the first thing we did is we promoted our corporate controller to chief accounting officer. Uh, and then one of the more important changes we made is looking at our company, we're, we're different. We're trend centers in a lot of ways. Um, you know, we're the first public institutional company that's operating and owning assets in Latin America and Mexico and the, in, in the Caribbean. Um, and so it's a little different. So we actually hired somebody um, from one of the large brands. You've heard of them, but somebody that could head up our hotel finance accounting group because he has had a foot uh, his entire career, one, in hotel accounting and local um, local audit work, and then also understood what it meant to be a part of a big public company with SOX compliance and internal controls, responsibilities, and stuff like that. And so um, we added people there. We also have undertook, at the, under the leadership of our C chief accounting officer, um, a brand-new accounting system, you know, bringing us up to, to speed with the, where the rest of the world is. And we've been putting that in over the last year and a half and, and also putting in a new shared service accounting center, kind of a hub-and-spoke system like the airlines use, where we've got centralized accounting services in certain locations spokes that build off of it, all with an eye towards what we talked about earlier, allowing us to be more responsive and more timely in the data and the information and how we support the business. Our CEO, as I mentioned earlier, is incredibly entrepreneurial. We grow incredibly fast over the last couple of years, whether it's acquisitions or internal growth or management contracts or development. And you know, accounting should never be slowing down the business. You, know, you should be able to add a hotel, almost be, make it plug and play, and that's our goal. Um, and so putting those kind of systems and tools in place, I think, is one of the best things that, uh, that our team has, has done and allows to be, continue to be nimble and fast um, in the future. 
So I realize there's there's so much going on here uh, in terms of a- acquisitions at all times, and it looks like that's where you're rooted. You were perhaps involved in, in um, assessing potential uh, acquisitions all along the way, I imagine. Uh, but uh, also, uh, Playa has, uh, I guess, partnerships or uh, relationships with some of the large uh, brands that uh, you just mentioned in passing there. But these are, uh, I would imagine, intricate relationships that require a lot of uh, uh, financial brain power behind them. Um, so I'm, I'm wondering on a, you know, the numbers that you're paying attention to as a CFO today. Imagine you're looking at whether these acquisitions are being integrated properly and whether they're meeting uh, the early uh, thresholds that you had perhaps mapped out for them. Uh, you're, you're looking at the uh, these relationships, wondering if they're performing the way you anticipated. Well, uh, again, I'm going to just simply say it. What are the numbers that are top of mind for you as you go through 2019 here? What are you paying close attention to? Yeah, I mean, I've got a few kind of, you know, there's a number of different metrics we pay attention to. But if, if I had to kind of cut it down to kind of three or four kind of key metrics that we look at at a daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly basis, um, it's both at a top line and a profitability level. So the first one is the occupancy, which is – simply the number of rooms that are sold on any given night. It's expressed as an occupancy, as a percentage of the total. So you can see how many of your rooms are sold at any given location or locations. Um, the second would be um, what we call our average daily rate, our package average daily rate. And that is just um, the revenue you've earned divided by the number of rooms that are occupied. So it's essentially what is the, you know, if you look at the, the, the P&L for the month at a hotel, what was the average rate customers paid to stay at your property? Um, and then the last one on the top line is what we call RevPAR, and that's just short for revenue for available room. Um, and it's expressed as occupancy times rate or package revenue divided by number of available rooms. And so all three of those are kind of the key metrics and trends that we look at both historically and on a forecast basis and how things are trending throughout the year. And then we look at, obviously, our margins and profitability in a, in a metric that we call flow-through. It's, it's um, very um, popular in the, in the hotel and lodging industry. And it's a, a profitability metric, and it's used to measure kind of the percentage of incremental or lost dollars of revenue that flows through to the bottom line and how well you're adjusting costs um, that, uh, that match up to how your revenues are moving. So those are kind of the four I look at every single day um, and are most important to us. But you're absolutely right. Um, we, we, we have to look at acquisitions um, and how they're performing. We present that to our board you know, every single time we get together, how things perform versus underwriting. Um, you know, we've, you're, you're absolutely right. We have a great partnership with Hyatt. They're still a, a large investor in our, of ours and have a, um, a seat on our board. Uh, last fall, we um, announced a partnership with Hilton um, where we're converting two of our larger assets. We're in the process of doing that now, spending about $50, $60 million to convert two, two hotels, one in Mexico and one in, in the Dominican, to Hilton All-Inclusive. Um, and these are fantastic partnerships of ours and require a, a host of financial manpower behind it. But it's, uh, it's, it's why I love working here. It's never a dull day. Now, having come up through the ranks and, and very familiar with all the different roles in this uh, finance function, what um, – uh, I'm wondering, what is it that you said? Okay, we don't have to do this anymore. This is a this is a waste of time over here. We could much better. And I think you mentioned some some uh, you know reallocation of talent, and, and perhaps that would underscore uh, this question. But uh, what aren't you doing anymore? What what isn't uh, a priority for your finance team that maybe it was five ten years ago? 
it's not so much that it's a priority. It's just that we are getting rid of a lot of the manual things that we've done over the years. Um, you know, and, and having been a private company for a while, you know, this is Bruce's, you know, third public company, but probably been private for a long time. So taking things, putting them in new systems and, and putting in shared service centers and stuff like that takes a lot of the manual legwork out and just not wasted time, but time that could be better spent elsewhere. And so it's, it's more of been maximizing people's efforts and reprioritizing them through, you know, the advent of, of, of adding on these new systems and, 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 and reports and stuff like that. So um, I, I think it's, it's, it's kind of a cheesy phrase, but working smarter, not harder. And it's something that, you know, I, I think is pretty important to us because um, because we look at so many different things and we work in such an ever-changing environment and company, if you get too bogged down in a lot of these manual processes, you'll go crazy and you'll never get anything done. So it's, it's trying to be more efficient um, in how we look at things. All right, I'm gonna, uh, we're almost up to our signature question where I ask you a finance strategic moment, but I just have one last one I want to touch on. This emphasis you placed on systems and automation, and I'm wondering if uh, you ever reflect on, you know, with all this investment in technology, whatever you know you're, you're investing in, or whatever these tools are, I still can't get the numbers that I want in front of me, or I, it, it still takes you know too much time for me to download that and add this. I mean, is that are, is it getting better? <laughs> are you getting the visibility that you uh, you uh, desire? Oh, one one hundred percent, and 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 that's where things have really come along. And having worked here for for so long, I've I've lived through the days where we were building things slowly and trying to reconcile items, and those days are are gone. You know, it is just so much more efficient and, and faster. And it's not because of anything I've done. It's just the the change in passage of time with my predecessors and the, and the leadership under Bruce that have that have been putting on and been supportive of putting things in place for years and years now. Um, and so um, we still have uh, a long way to go, and we're never going to stop trying to improve and get better. Um, you know, when I think about to put aside systems and, and, and automation and stuff like that, one of the things that I love most about our company um, is, is the people and, and what we're able to create here. You know, if we have extremely talented individuals working across our, our organization in every single department in every single jurisdiction, um, you know, who approach their jobs with humility, integrity, and, and passion. And even if things aren't automated or doing, you know, working as quickly as possible, they legitimately care about the product and the success and the, and the livelihood of this company. So they're willing to put in the extra time. Um, one of the kind of key philosophies and, and pillars of Playa is that if you, if you motivate and take care of our associates across the organization, they in turn will take care of our guests, and that's the most important thing. And I think everyone here, whether they've worked in hospitality their entire careers or are new to it, they understand that the guests and their satisfaction is the utmost importance. And so if you kind of mend all that together and then you add in the nice-to-haves, you know, like systems and automation and new, you know, PMS systems, all that fun stuff, it really creates a culture here of everyone kind of with the same outward vision. And so it's been, it's been fascinating to watch it evolve over time, um, knowing that we still have a longer way to go, but um, it's a pretty exciting time to be applied. Now, you, you uh, and, and, again, and forgive me, one, I said one last question. I actually have one. No problem. I, you, you, uh, you, you already mentioned the emphasis on room occupancy. You're watching closely, uh, obviously, those customer returning customers. But um, I'm curious if the net promoter score, you just emphasized how the employees are engaged on pleasing customers. Um, I'm curious if there's a non-financial metric that you might be using to measure that as well. 
Yeah, there are guest satisfaction tools in stores. So it depends on the hotel and the brand. So, for instance, we own and operate Hyatt's. Well, Hyatt has their own internal guest satisfaction scores for their proprietary loyalty members. Hilton has the same thing. For those non-branded assets or, or kind of our brands that we have, they have their own systems and stuff that they use. And so it's upon checkout, check-in, it's, it's online, it's automated. We also look at things that we don't control, like TripAdvisor and stuff like that. But um, knowledge in this day and age and the ability for people to discuss online and look at reviews um, and how the operators at the properties are responding to those reviews, both positively or negatively, are super important to us. And, you know, it correlates to higher rates and higher profitability. And if you aren't, and again, it goes back to that key fundamental philosophy of, of not just Playa, but just hospitality in general. If the guest isn't happy, you will not be successful. So it's, they have different names, but it's guest satisfaction scores um, is really what we measure and track. Okay, we're going to jump to our uh, signature question finally, uh, where I get to ask you for a finance strategic moment. And this is where your lines of sight into the organization at some point in your career allowed you to see an opportunity or a risk, uh, one that you would like to share with our audience, actually, because I know you've had many. uh, But what comes to mind when I ask for a finance strategic moment? Yeah, so I've got, I've got one and then one kind of a cheesy, you know, little anecdote. But the, the first one was, um, uh, I, I don't exactly remember when, it was a couple of years ago, but um, it was, it goes a little bit off the question you had asked earlier about kind of the FP&A's function, but is again, all with an eye towards and the theme of making sure that we can support the business. So we started putting in monthly uh, results meetings, if you will, and kind of roundtable discussions. It seems... You know, I, I'm sure there are probably some listeners that would say, okay, that's pretty obvious, but it's something we weren't doing. Um, and it, so it's a call that we have where we review the results, and it's a lot of different key constituents um, and stakeholders within our organization, starting with sales and marketing, with the operators both on a regional and local basis, sometimes the general managers, um, you know, the accounting teams. And we discuss the results not just historically but also the forecast. We talk about key trends. And it allows us to share information so quickly and rapidly that it would take us way too long to get on the phone with each other individually. You know, you think about how it helps me do my job better because I speak with investors along with our head of uh, investor relations. So to be able to hear in real time, okay, here's how the business is trending. Yes, this is how it performed last month, but here's what I'm seeing the next couple weeks to months out. You know, here's some of the things we're doing at the local level to control costs or enhance the guest experience. Um, And so it just, it seems very simple. But it was one of those things that we almost kind of kicked ourselves and we looked at ourselves and said, how the heck were we not doing this earlier? Um, and it, it's, been, it's been great for the last couple of years to allow us to share information more, more readily. So I know that seems simple, but it's something I can't recommend enough um, to allow people to just speak in real time. Just to uh, just get a little more specific there, these are uh, you're on the speakerphone and you're patching in um, uh, some executives in different uh, – functional areas mm-hmm. on a regular basis, uh, quarterly, let's say quarterly. It, it, we actually do it monthly, but we do, a quarter, do quarterly things as well. Yeah, you're right, and it's in various parts of the organization and disciplines, including people at the resorts who are seeing things on a daily and real-time basis. Okay, all right, and, and you've moved it around. It sounds like you began with certain specific groups, and maybe it's, it's expanded. Yeah, it's expanded. It's, it continues to evolve and just depends on what we're up to. You know, it's, I, I tell people when they come, come work for Playa, you know, you will, have, you will have your day-to-day responsibilities and weekly and quarterly things that you're responsible for. But the other portion of your job is whatever the heck we're up to because, again, Bruce is such an entrepreneurial uh, leader. Um, and so it just it tends to evolve just depending on what 
priorities and things we're working on. They're kind of the core people who are on the phone, definitely sales and marketing and operations and kind of FP&A are always in discussions together, but we kind of tend to move and change depending on what the topic you know, deserve of the day is. But um, it's, it's something that we continue to get better at. And then as you're on the phone, we've been able to, you know, have people say, okay, hey, I'd love to see this metric, you know, you know, accounting, FP&A, can you guys produce that for us? And then we can have the conversation evolve into a new area that we hadn't been discussing in real time before. So we have, and we try and keep them as simple as possible. You can't send people 20 pages of data, you'll never get off the phone. But we kind of focus on some of those key metrics I discussed earlier and then some more granular ones that allow people to, to foster the discussion and make decisions in real time. Do they also ask if they can share certain numbers down within to their groups or their part of the organization? I would think 100%. Was, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's something that's so important that, you know, I'm, I'm a very inclusive person when it comes to, you know, it comes to meetings and sharing of information because if it's there and available and it can allow somebody to do their job more efficiently or better, why not? And so, um, yeah, you can't have 400 people on the phone, but it's meant to be disseminated. And so we are constantly working and changing how that information is put together and presented to make it as easily and readable for everyone. Don't go anywhere. We're about to enter the mentoring round with Plier Resorts CFO, Ryan Emel, after this. The business landscape is changing quickly. As the pressure to manage expenses efficiently and strategically increases, you need solutions that not only help drive down costs and improve efficiencies, but meet the changing needs of your business. At U.S. Bank, we can help. We'll work with you to uncover your specific payment challenges and bring you proactive and innovative solutions and strategies that help you meet the financial goals of your organization. Our commitment to doing the right thing for our customers has earned us the designation of one of the world's most ethical companies from the Ethisphere Institute for six years in a row. To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com. Okay, we're going to move to our mentoring round where I get to ask you several quick questions intended to uh, inspire and uh, mentor future finance leaders. We want to know what it is that is exciting you today about business. We know what it might have been 10 years ago, the opportunities that laid ahead, but what is it now as a CFO? What's exciting you now? Um, very for me, especially because I've you know, never really left the organization, what decides me the most is the opportunity set that sits with Playa. Um, and just the overall lodging and hospitality in particular, we, are in the, we didn't really completely touch on this. We're in the all-inclusive business, and, uh, meaning you come in and you, you pay for a package, and that includes your room, your food and beverage, your alcohol, your entertainment. You don't have to spend a dollar when you come to our properties if you don't want to. Um, and allow, you know, the value proposition of the guests is incredible. And, and just seeing – Having worked in this business for a long time and seeing how all inclusive has changed over the last, um, you know, 20 years, um, particularly in the product offerings and the rooms and the food and beverage in particular. I think some people, when they hear all inclusive, they think of you know cheap buffet style, you know, spring break hotels. Um, it's really changed. Um, you look at our properties. We have you know, some of the things we've come up with. People far more creative than I am have come up with interesting restaurants and and and, and product offerings. Like you know, our, our hotels all have Japanese teppanyaki style restaurants. You know, one of ours has a Brazilian you know um, steakhouse uh, style restaurant. You know, we actually one of our properties. 
Um, I don't, I'm not sure I can say we're the only, but we're probably one of very, very few. We brew our own beer. We've got a small microbrewery at one of our all-inclusive properties in Cancun. And these are things that are new and exciting, um, and it just allows the customer to have a better and better experience, which means, again, going back to that main that main comment, if the customer's happy, you know, then you're able to do and expand and, and make more money and grow and, 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 you know, achieve all of your goals. So for me, it's how this business has changed and that being at Playa right now in this very exciting time in the position we're at with the partners, you know, the U.S. brand partners that we have today, it's, it's, really, it's a really exciting time because the opportunity set is, is pretty wide. Now, what is it that uh, when you first step foot into the office as a CFO, what, what is it that you wish someone had given, uh, told you, a piece of advice I'm looking for, actually, a piece of advice someone should have shared with you but you didn't have? What is it that you wish someone had shared with you way back when? Um, that uh, <laughs> That's a good question. I think that a lot of I, ha- I have found, and I, it's more generally, it's not necessarily just apply, but just generally, um, there's there's sometimes there's an assumption that, um, you know, anything that's measuring or anything that has anything to do with numbers, oh, that must be accounting or finances responsibility. Um, and so it has been a collaborative effort to work with various departments and, 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 and groups within the organization to say, yeah, look, we're going to be as supportive as possible and maintain and, and help you track and, and build all the tools we can help you to run your business and your sides of the house. But at the same time, there are only certain things that we can't do or track for you. And so, I, you know, I have had some experiences where there's some folks that say, well, isn't that accounting? And it's it's not. You know, so I wish that's something that, uh, you know, somebody had kind of given me a heads up on. But um, other than that, um, it's been it's been it's been great. You know, it's been a great ride and, and great working with people here because we have such tremendously talented and, and truly collaborative people here at this organization. Do you have a personal habit or routine that you believe has contributed to your professional success? Um, I, I personally am – I had to change this over the last probably five years, but um, I, I wasn't usually an early riser. I am now. I prefer to kind of come in, and it's a way to, you know, do the, the normal silly stuff like catch up with email, you know, look at – look at data, look at reports, you know, get back to people. And so I, I prefer to be one of the earlier people in the office. Um, that's been helpful to me personally um, because as more people get in, you know, get in and get in their seats and in their offices, um, it's a little more demanding of your time. So I, I personally have found that very helpful. Yeah, I just want to um, mention that uh, along the way uh, on the uh, career ladder, you did get an MBA, and I think mm-hmm. you went uh, when you were working as well. Uh, which, uh, that's tough. Uh, so I, I just want to ask you to uh, share a little bit about your thinking, uh, why you decided to uh, take the approach you did to getting an MBA and how it served you. Yeah, so um, our, our CEO um, was, uh, you know, he's an MBA himself. He went to Wharton. I, I did Georgetown. Um, my, a couple of my original bosses had also had gotten their MBA as well, and I think that was important for my development, again, following that theme to become as well-rounded as possible. I wanted to spend some more time taking accounting classes, work on public speaking, work on, you know, strategy. Um, And I was kind of given the option to kind of go back to school or work. For me, um, you know, Bruce and the company actually sponsored me back, you know, back in the day to to actually go. So I wanted to continue working so I can continue to to earn a paycheck and while at the same time going to school. It it took longer. I went to Georgetown's McDonough School of Business, um, and they have a very unique program there where, um, you are doing the exact same thing as the full-time people, but it just takes a year longer because you can't be there every single day. And that was important to me in, in, to be in the area and continue to work and support. So I, I'm really glad I did it. It was incredibly difficult. I had my first child into my last 
first year of school, and so that added an extra degree of uh, difficulty, of course. But I'm, I'm really, really glad I did it. And again, having the support and sponsorship of, of Bruce and the company at the time was, um, was, was pretty amazing. So I'm, I'm glad I did it. It did make balancing – I mean, there were times that I was in class and doing work work because I needed – I couldn't fall behind. And there were probably some times, admittedly, that, you know, if something was a little bit slower at the office, I was probably doing schoolwork at the office. Um, but it's something I was able to manage and spend a lot of time on the weekends um, playing catch-up. Okay. Now, uh, we'd like to ask if you have a book you'd like to recommend. Uh, and this can doesn't have to be a business book, something more broad, something for enjoyment, whatever it might be. Yeah. I, uh, I'm kind of a, a, a nerd when it comes to kind of fantasy books, and, you know, I obviously love all the Harry Potters and stuff like that, and I know this isn't a book, you know, this a, a series of books that people haven't heard of. It's quite popular these days, but I, I really enjoyed the Game of Thrones series um, in a sense that I, I thought the way that the, the characters are written and depicted, um, you know, I, I talked about this a lot with someone who used to work in the, in the company here. I love how they're all written that there's no such thing as a good guy or a bad guy. Um, everybody, they're all flawed individuals in one way or another, um, and I just find it fascinating. You know, I like dragons and swords and, you know, and fighting and stuff like that, but I just really enjoyed the character development. And, it's again, I'm not telling anybody something they don't already know because it's so incredibly popular, but, I, you know, for those who have only watched the show, I recommend the books as well. <laughs> Great choice. All right, we're up to our final question. Uh, as a finance leader, what are your priorities over the next 12 months, being specific to the year now? What are your priorities over the next 12 months? Um, it's continuing finalizing the things I mentioned earlier. So um, because 2019 is a year of essentially transition for us because we've got a lot of capital focused on a couple big projects that are opening in November, including the two Hilton conversions I mentioned earlier, and then a very large 750-room project that's opening in the Dominican Republic. Um, you know, we're focused on getting those done and open because 2020 is a very uh, important year for us from a growth, from an EBITDA perspective. Um, and so we are, at least particularly in the finance accounting department, focused on becoming as streamlined and as efficient as possible, finalizing the accounting implementation, you know, finalizing shared service um, centers and, and, and data production and our business planning tools and making sure we're ready for that next step, whatever it may be, because, again, going back to, to Bruce and his strategy, it's, it's growth. Um, and so being ready to handle and, and support the business as best we can. So that's, I know that's not the most exciting thing in the world, but it's putting in the time now to allow us to be very efficient and successful, you know, 12 months from now. Ryan Email, thank you for joining us on CFO Thought Leader. Thank you so much, Jack. It's a pleasure, and I really enjoyed this, and thank you so much for your interest in Playa. Hello, listeners. Do us a favor. Be certain to subscribe to CFO Thought Leader on Apple Podcasts, or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or Google Play. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Oh, and by the way, the CFO Yearbook 2021 Print Edition debuts on Amazon this quarter, featuring 100 profiles of finance leaders from our 2020 season. Would you like to learn more about our CFO guests? Order the CFO Yearbook 2021. Thank you for supporting our efforts to bring you career journeys of CFOs driving change. We'll be back with another episode very soon. 
Thank you for listening.